Welcome to Opening Doors, a podcast about accessibility in arts and civic life, brought to you by the Seattle Cultural Accessibility Consortium and Jack Straw Cultural Center. For our first season, we aim to amplify the voices of Black, Indigenous, and people of color with disabilities, and to learn how race and disability impact their access to arts and culture. Here's your host, Elizabeth Ralston, founder of the Seattle Cultural Accessibility Consortium. I am here today with King Katum, this multifaceted Japanese-American artist, producer, educator, and community organizer is a prominent figure in the Seattle hip-hop community and beyond. He has worked to engage and empower communities for the past 25 years. And what has remained constant is his dedication to art and community service. Katum serves as a board member of a paralysis support organization, the Here and Now Project, and the arts funding agency for culture. He is commissioner of the Seattle Commission for People with Disabilities and manager of the historic venue community space, Washington Hall. In addition, he works as executive director for the record label, Flat Shop Beats, and the community organization, 206 Zulu. A spinal cord injury, means that Chasm has initiated all his activist pursuits, performances, and lectures from his wheelchair. Chasm's current pursuits in hip-hop activism have led him toward a more comprehensive perspective of hip-hop's role in society, and we are grateful to have him talk to us today about his thoughts on how racism, equality, art, and life with a disability intersect. Welcome. I'm so glad to see you today. Thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. You told me that you are a fourth-generation Japanese-American and that your family was incarcerated in Japanese internment camps during World War II. Can you talk to me about how your family's experience has affected your perspective on life? Indeed. You know, the, the internment camps uh, wasn't something that my family talked much about. And I, I'd say generally that, that goes for many Japanese American families. It's not something that was really discussed much. Until um, more recently, uh, recent years, uh, you know, my, my grandparents are still alive and well um, in their mid to late 80s. And um, they're just now starting to, to kind of delve into the open, uh, being open to those conversations. Um, you know, I'm not sure if it was, uh, you know, deep-rooted guilt or, or shame or otherwise, but, you know, they just, they don't dwell too much on the past and, and are really rooted in, in just looking forward. Something that, that I was instilled with, you know, through my family is, um, I guess, in hindsight, resilience, being able to move forward, you know, despite the struggles and, and, and whatever your, your current circumstance is that, that there's always something to aspire towards strong sense of, uh, you know, family and community. Uh, I've, I've learned through, through my family, um, being able to, to support each other. Looking back, I, I, I see that would be like the earliest, um, show of, you know, what we call strength in numbers, being able to, to come together, you know, for, for a greater cause and just, just supporting each other and, you know, all of our pursuits. I think the thing that really um, 
was most embedded in me through my family was the creativity. You know, um, that's, that's where I get a lot of my artistic passion from in a lot of different ways, you know, through the lineage of my great-grandparents, my, my grandparents and my parents, you know, they've always had a very strong uh, creative mind and, and uh, you know, really ranged the whole gamut from rock gardens in, in the internment camps to driftwood that, that my great-grandfather would make really elaborate wood furniture and different designs and great grandma would make, you know, Japanese dolls and, and it'd be, uh, you know, calligraphy on scrolls that, that had not just symbolic, you know, poetic phrases that, that had a lot of meaning, but just the, the strokes themselves that, that carried a lot of depth and, and feeling. And I think that a lot of that just had transpired um, through me, you know, kind of un, unbeknownst, uh, I've just kind of always um, been able to have the art, you know, uh, and music as a, as a way to kind of channel myself. And I think that, you know, for a lot of artists, that's really how we're able to uh, kind of make sense of this world as we move forward. Have you noticed any shifts um, in the conversation about racism through the generations and through different people of color communities? You know, what kind of shifts have you noticed through the Black Lives Matter movement? and within your own circle as well? You know, I think kind of similar to how elders in my family, you know, they didn't talk much about the concentration camps. You know, we didn't talk in depth about prejudice, you know, racism or, or different, you know, problems of the world. They just kind of exemplified, you know, the world that they wanted to live in and just kind of exhibited the attributes, you know, of uh, strength, compassion, inclusion, optimism, but not through their words, but through their, their ways and actions in particular. Um, and not that it was uh, swept under the rug, but it was just, I guess, addressed in a different way. My generation and younger generations were, were I guess, a lot more vocal. Um, I kind of come from the south end of Seattle, you know, one of the most diverse zip codes in the country. And, and um, you know, here, we're surrounded by all, all kinds of people of different backgrounds, black, brown, Vietnamese, Chinese, you know, Ethiopian, Eritrean, Samoans, natives. And, you know, it's such an amazing melting pot here. And, and uh, despite our, you know, cultural differences, you know, we, we all have similar backgrounds and similar aspirations and, and desires and, and basic needs and, and hopes. A lot of us, you know, come from different poor and working class families, you know, sometimes marginalized, often underserved but very hardworking, resilient, family-oriented, and uh, strong people, you know? So for me, I come from the golden era of hip-hop. And, uh, you know, this is a generation of uh, young people who, who grew up um, Afrocentricity, you know, being proud of Black heritage and culture. And, and you know, this is the shift in um, kind of the ideology and, and, and just being proud of who you are um despite where where you come from you know the music was like a soundtrack and um you know i grew up being very inspired by artists like you know krs1 public enemy and uh poor righteous teachers you know and and a lot of times hip-hop is um looked at as like you know the black cnn of the streets and being able to make the the correlation you know of of what was happening with young brothers and sisters in, in New York was, was very similar to what was happening 
in Los Angeles and Houston and Chicago and, and here in Seattle. So, you know, we're all able to kind of look at what's happening on the streets and, and, and seeing that, you know, we have a lot more in common than we do different. And um, so, you know, hip hop was really one of the things that really kind of raised my consciousness in terms of learning about, you know, the social ills and different states that we're living in being able to uh, kind of address these issues. I grew up being also very inspired by the, you know, the legacy of the Black Panther Party. And, um, you know, over the years, I've been blessed to be able to learn from many of the leaders and, and in a lot of ways, you know, continue the footsteps. Um, a lot of times there's a misconception, you know, in terms of uh, what the Black Panther Party stood for. And, and, you know, even today with the Black Lives Matter, what it means, um, it can often be misconstrued and, you know, really just black liberation, what that means. And really it's not just a fight for, for black people, it's a fight for humanity. And um, we all need to do our part, you know, in, in, in learning prejudice and hatred and, and decolonizing our minds and, you know, looking deep into our systemic infrastructure and, and how we can all be a part of the solution. You know, what is the, the change that we want to see and, and how are we going to get there? And, uh, you know, liberation and freedom can be vilified and, and sensationalized. And, and uh, so, you know, it, it continues the cycle of perpetuating uh, the oppression and, you know, history works in, in cycles. So it's really uh, kind of a heightened state of awareness that we're in now. And it's really important for everybody to, you know, do their part in uh, raising consciousness and, and doing something about making a better tomorrow. Yes, and it seems like so many forms of art, like hip-hop, can really transcend those differences and bring people together to send out a message about solidarity, about justice, you know. And that brings me to my next point is, can you talk a bit about how your disability has influenced your art and made you an advocate for marginalized communities, especially when you're using hip-hop and other art forms to really get the message out about racial injustice and disability justice? Well, as a child, you know, I was in a, a very serious car accident. I killed two people, and fortunately, my mother and, and I survived. I suffered from a, a spinal cord injury that, you know, made me unable to walk, and you know, uh, I guess how that would shape me. Um, I, I I was growing up in the South, and you know, um, a lot of a lot of friends and peers were out, you know, either playing sports in the park or, you know, uh, running the streets and getting into trouble. Uh, but for me, you know, I was uh, at home, just in in uh, isolation. You know, like similar to today, and I would just draw and paint for endless hours and and. Uh, use my creativity as, as a kind of a portal into in my imagination and going into, into different worlds and realms and, and, and just conjuring up any type of possibility I would just imagine. And, um, you know, for me, like the, the art was, um, was a way to process my, you know, feelings, my anger, my, my, my pain, my, my joy, you know, everything. Um, it was, uh, especially for, for somebody who, who wasn't really big on, you know, communicating. Um, that was my way of communication. And, um, 
in terms of you know how it's influenced me uh to um be an advocate i don't really see as an advocate i'm just i'm just me you know i'm, I'm here to speak my truth and hopefully help others in the process um i share my stories you know through my art and my lyrics and and uh you know over time it's it's been not just therapy for myself but you know it's been able to connect with a lot of other people who are going through similar challenges and struggles and kind of just different experiences you know music and, and art you know it touches upon the whole array of the human experience so that's something that that you know resonates in a lot of different people and over the years have become like kind of like what they call a big homie you know or a mentor um, to my peers and other folks in the hood and you know i've kind of slowly been able to see the power in that and, and being able to use it as a as a platform for good you know seeing that you know, we can settle our differences through art. We can, we can see the bigger picture. We can work towards common goals. And, you know, like I said earlier, strength in numbers and, and being able to use these creative elements as, as ways to, to engage our, our minds, you know, and our bodies and, and our souls and how we can use that to bring forth greater good. So, you know, uh, life is, is art and art is life. You know, it's, it's, it's cyclical and, and you know for me my disability I guess is just a part of life and I don't really there's a lot of different intersections and and, and what makes me me and I don't necessarily uh, differentiate or compartmentalize those different aspects um, it's just me and who I am you know I've been very blessed in life and, and um, these challenges really have made me who I am in the best sense I've been able to use those struggles, you know, to to propel me forward and um, been able to travel the world and connect with a lot of like minds, you know, that, that feel passionate about the arts as a as a platform for serving community and just self-expression. You've had such an amazing life in terms of being able to do so many different things, traveling and being a mentor and performing, and I really admire that about you. And I think I would like to say that one of the things that we have in common is not only our disabilities. You have a disability that's more visible, and I have a disability that's more invisible. But what we share in common is that feeling of isolation and also not feeling like people understand us. And so we turn to some other channel to express ourselves. And for you, it was art. For me, it was reading and writing. And my father was a professor, very scholarly. And so we read a lot and we wrote. Um, And so for me, that was a way to express myself also. And I'm a storyteller. And so I love telling stories and um, amplifying other people's stories. So this is really quite timely. So you mentioned earlier about you being a mentor to people. Let's talk about your work in that, especially around youth advocacy and hip hop. What's your philosophy of youth empowerment? Is it the next generation maybe that can save us? Well, in order to know where we're going, we need to we need to look where we've been, you know, and, and vice versa. And it's a beautiful thing that, you know, you've had writing and literary uh, aspects to, to help, you know, feed your mind and, and engage you. And, and um, it's a beautiful thing when people have things to help them through. Uh, for me, it was hip hop. And, uh, you know, hip hop is a, a youth driven culture. 
the essence of hip hop since the beginning has been peace, unity, love, overcoming the negative to the positive. And it's, it's been that way since, since its inception, you know, in the early to mid 1970s in, uh, you know, the Bronx, New York, where it was a world that was crumbling literally, you know, with um, benign neglect and a lot of the city planners and politicians that were neglecting the Bronx and, and it was burnt down and, and decrepit. And, and it was the young people who were the visionaries to, to have a, a sense of turning the negative to the positive and just working within the means, you know, they didn't have anything, you know, but they had each other and they were able to express themselves, you know, we call the elements of hip hop and, and through the dance and the visual art and the music and, and uh, the fashion and, and all these different things that were um, unique and just able to have a sense of self-determination with very little, I mean, nothing, you know, and, Hip hop was about raising consciousness. You know, it was about initially it was about fun. You know, and, and and being able to settle differences. There was a lot of gang tension and got a lot of gang violence. But you know, through hip hop, it was a way for people to look at and say, like, we're all in the same gang. You know, and and let's put our differences to the side and let's let's be about this hip hop thing. And, and um, it was that vision that really um, cultivated the foresight and the strength of, of, of young people. And so, you know, not just, not just hip hop, but if you look at many different movements, there's a couple aspects, you know, that, that are they're centered by. And one is young people, you know, who have the inspiration, the energy, the passion uh, to mobilize and to be forward thinking and not be hindered, you know, by traditions or, or how things have been done before. And just believing that the sky is the limit and that when you empower a young mind, you know, you can empower a whole generation. And, uh, you know, hip-hop, there's a lot of, I guess you would say, a lot of different movements. There's uh, misconceptions about it. And a lot of that in today's world has to do with, you know, the commodification of the culture, the exploitation, and the commercialization of it. But when you look at the root, it's been about peace, unity, love, and having fun. You take it the word hip, hip-hop, you know, hip means to educate right and hop is to, to, to jump or to elevate so when you when you're educating and you're elevating you know that's that's really the root of what it is and i appreciate any young person who speaks the truth you know no matter how how hard things might be or how you might not want to hear it but speaking their truth is powerful and a lot for a lot of young brothers and sisters you know um they just want to be heard you know that's all they have and um, to be able to live your whole life and never be heard is defeating, you know. So young people, you know, is, is the future. To be able to invest in our young people is, is so important, you know. Um, a lot of young people of today are, are becoming more and more aware and um, are being active and making change. And we need to support that. You know, we need to, to provide more platforms for them and, um, as you know, cliches in my sound, they are they are our future, you know. So let's empower them and embrace them. And I just hope that um, young people today are not becoming more cynical about um, the state of the world and politics and all that. So I'm thankful that they have those platforms to um, express themselves, whether it's outrage 
uh, um, expressing the truth. Do you fear that young artists with disabilities um, that you interact with have an easier or more difficult time navigating life challenges, you know, as compared to your own experience growing up and even now? Are there more resources? Are there more obstacles? What's it like, do you think? I'm not really here to validate or invalidate people's struggles. Um, you know, we all have our own ups and downs, you know, and all of them matter, you know, different challenges. And no matter where you are, you know, no matter where you came from, people with different disabilities are going to have hurdles in life, you know, just like people without disabilities. And um, it's not, it's not where we've we come from that defines us, but it's like how, where are we going and how we're going to get there that it really kind of shows our character. But, you know, as someone who grew up not having, you know, a lot of these different resources um, in terms of like navigating like with, without social media and, and search engines like Google, um, you know, I can't really imagine what, what life would be like. You know, I, I feel like I was just had to learn on my own. You know, I didn't really, uh, wasn't really aware of a lot of different things. I mean, there were some things like uh, Camp Casey that was pretty exciting, you know, as a young person to be able to connect with other disabled individuals and kind of share those uh, bonds. But, um, you know, even today with all these different technological advances, ironically, young people can still feel lost, you know, even with the instantaneous information at your fingertips and and so you know it's it's just tools and, and tools can be used to hurt or to heal you know and it's it's um it's it's just a, it's such an interesting time you know um i think it's it's really about your personal support system you know who if you have family and friends and, and those who you can depend on to help build you up and you know not everybody has that you know so it's a blessing if you have those people in your life but, you know, uh, th there's a lot more, I guess, uh, access to technology and resources and, you know, in terms of uh, being able to um, use technology as a means for accessibility. It's a lot more advanced. I think that's a beautiful thing. But, you know, again, like that, it just depends on how it's used, you know, um, and, and the access. Some people don't have access to Internet. Some people don't have access to computers, you know, so um, it's kind of creates um, different barriers in this climate today. Yes, I am amazed at how far we have come when it comes to technology. I could not talk on the phone when I was younger. I always had to have help. And now I can do almost everything by myself. So, mm. But yes, there are barriers for people who don't have access to technology. And I know that there are lots of great nonprofits out there that are working to change that. Absolutely. Um, and um, I want to um, close with one last question. As a biracial and disabled man, can you tell me more about your experiences, how your experience with racism and discrimination has affected your access within the arts, both as a patron and as a performer? It's just a way of life. You know, you, you learn to, to kind of navigate around being conscious of, of your environment you know, how you deal with people, um, how you move, where you go. Sometimes, you know, people don't take you seriously or, or they feel like uh, you're incapable of being independent. Something as simple as, you know, ordering food 
to like, you know, managing a business, you know, sometimes people will look at you or they'll, be, they'll, they'll commend you for being so brave and coming out of the house, you know, um, there's something that exists, but it's just, you know, how do you communicate and undo those different trains of thought, you know, to be able to, to undo that, you know, it's systemic. And a lot of times it's just about just connecting with people, you know, and getting to see the humanity of in people and, and, and learning from each other and having cultural exchange and being like, you know, different doesn't make, make things better or worse. It's just different, but we all have the similar needs and the similar wants and, and hopes and aspirations. And um, in terms of, you know, as being an artist and, and a patron to, to different spaces and venues, um, we have a lot of work to do. You know, it's a beautiful thing that we have the ADA. Uh, you know, I've been fortunate to go to many other countries and different places are, you know, don't have that. And so we do have a lot of um, great things and strides that we that we made as a country in terms of um, accessibility and, and whatnot, but we have a lot of work to do. You know, touring is very, even just as a, as a, as an able person is challenging, but as a, disabled person i mean this it really is amplified in terms of like the challenges of of like getting around you know hotels saying that they're accessible but really aren't um getting off and on the planes and having enough time to make the connecting flight and having damaged wheelchairs i mean you, you you'd be kind of uh, surprised on how regular it is to have a damaged wheelchair in the process of getting on an airplane you know, uh, venues that don't have a way to get onto the stage, you know, that that uh, that the green rooms backstage are, are down two flights of stairs. So, you know, it, it can be challenging, but, you know, it's, it's a lot of logistics and, and a lot of um, yeah, planning and, uh, and being able to uh, overcome that. So the good fight never ends, but that's what life is here for is to overcome to persevere. You brought up some really good points about how, you know, with the 30th anniversary of the ADA coming up, you know, it's helped in a lot of ways, but it's also hindered in other ways. We have a long way to go, and I'm really appreciative of your thoughtfulness and your honesty in telling your personal story, and I want to thank you for spending the time with us, telling us about what that's been like, and offering some amazing insights into the world of accessibility from a hip-hop artist perspective. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, and thank you for all the great work you're doing in the community. Thank you. Opening Doors is produced by the Seattle Cultural Accessibility Consortium and Jack Straw Cultural Center. This podcast was made possible by the Awesome Foundation, Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, and individual contributors, with in-kind support from Jack Straw Cultural Center, Sound Theatre Company, Jennifer Rice Communications, and the SCAC Steering Committee. Music performed by William Chapman Yaho, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The mission of the Seattle Cultural Accessibility Consortium is to connect arts and cultural organizations with the information and resources to improve accessibility for people of all abilities. SCAC's fiscal sponsor is Shunpike. To learn more, go to seattlecac.org. 
Jack Straw Cultural Center, producer of the Blind Youth Audio Project since 1997, is committed to keeping art, culture, and heritage vital through sound. You can learn more at jackstraw.org. Join us for our next episode, featuring an interview with Christiana Obey Sumner, the CEO of Epiphanies of Equity, a social equity consulting firm specializing in social change, intersectionality, anti-racism, and disability justice. I cannot have a meltdown in the same way I could if I was, say, a white cis man. Because if I had a meltdown as a white cis man, then people would just see me as, oh, this person is, is emotional, or this person is upset, or this person is expressing themselves. If I'm emotional, then I'm a danger. I'm a threat. They should call 911. Hear the whole interview on the next episode of Opening Doors, available at soundcloud.com slash openingdoorspod and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.